Okay. Uh, this year is sponsored a member of Mr. Gerald Moskowitz Alba's family, Lilui Nishmat, Gershon Alter Ben Yehuda Fulsal. The, sh- the uh, parish is, uh, is Pinchas. And um, just to remind ourselves, Pinchas did a remarkable thing. He killed the Nasi of Shimon and this Moabite woman who he was having relations with and do, he did it as an act he did it as an act against Moshe Rabbeinu, against authority and Pinchas took up the challenge and killed Zimri and, uh, and Cosby that was, that was his name and her name um, we discussed what was behind this that uh, there is this halakha that aramit that sometimes um, a person who who has some illicit sexual relationship can impoke imbo which means that they don't do process you can you can just kill him like as though you were a rodate somebody who was charging after you with intention to kill so you can kill him you kill him first there's no you can't say no let's go to court he'll kill you so there are certain situations where due process doesn't doesn't play a role the beginning of the parasha of Pinchas is an explanation of God's reaction to this act that Pinchas did so if you look at the Supreme by the Be'er Moshe so God shares his intention with Moshe. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Kohen. Right? We know that Pinchas was a real Kohen, which means that he had to be descendant of Aaron, a Kohen, who was the first Kohen. So he's Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Kohen. You remember that Aaron had four sons. Nadav Aviu Elazar Itamar. Nadav and Aviu died when bringing unwanted fire to the to the Mishkan, Eish Zara. Eish Zara. And uh, Pinchas was the son of one of the two remaining one of the two remaining uh, uh, sons, Elazar, in this case. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Arona Kohen Shivit Hamati Chama is anger Shivit Hamati sort of uh, quieted my anger gave it uh, gave me peace God says not that God was angry but that God would have expressed anger in the direction of Bnei Yisrael and destroy them he jealously acted uh, in defense of God in their midst so this is interesting that apparently B'nai Yisrael were on the verge of a great disaster of being destroyed because after all this unleashing the Moabite women was done for the purpose of bringing B'nai Yisrael into idolatry you know in, that, that there was always this relationship between um, the, the illicit sexual relations and idolatry, certainly in the 
of the ancient world, right? And all kinds of modern-day novels that, uh, you know, some reason like to talk about uh, sacrificing uh, young girls to some unknown god. So this is what was going on. Now the Pasuk says, Latein emor. And therefore, God says the following to Moshe Rabbeinu, now this is a, a mystery. We'll give him, give Pinchas, Briti, Shalom. Now Brit is a covenant. Let's talk about that word first. Brit is a covenant. What's a covenant? A covenant is, a, is an agreement. Except that you have to understand that as Moshe Rabbeinu explains to B'nai Yisrael at the end of his leadership days when they are about to enter Eretz Yisrael, a covenant with God, an agreement with God, is different than any other kind of agreement. Because every agreement can be abrogated. You can decide you're not going to live up to the conditions of the agreement. And then the agreement is null and void. If there's a punishment clause, so you get punished, you, you'll be punished. But the, uh, but the agreement can be null and void, but an agreement with God can never be nullified. That's the nature of the agreement, and that's what Moshe Rabbeinu explains to B'nai Israel at the end of his days in the parish of Nitzavim, where Moshe Rabbeinu said, Atem, Nitzavim hayom kulchem, Nitzav, Nitzav is a word that means to stand tall, to stand straight, to be firmly planted and rooted in wherever you are. It means that nothing is going to change. This contract that we have with God, which gives us, which gives us Am Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, and also promises us many progeny, that contract and that agreement can never be Entirely abrogated. However, the agreement says if you don't keep uh, you don't keep the Torah, you don't do the mitzvot, you don't do what God wants, you'll be punished. But it doesn't say that the agreement will ever come will ever come to an end. So there are in the Torah certain agreements that God made with the created world. One in the beginning in Breshit, and one at the end of Devarim. The one at the beginning of Breshit is that. God will not destroy the world with a with a flood. That's what God said to Noah. God will not destroy the world with a flood. What does destroying the world with a flood mean? I think we've discussed it. It means going back to pre-creation. Because creation is about separating things. Right? That that the, the waters and the land separated from each other, right? So that there would be land and water in two different places, not in the same place. But as long as the land, the water, the water covered the land, so then you went back to the first pasuk in the Torah. Right? That the, that the Spirit of God was on the water. Where was the water? The water was on the world. What, 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 what do you mean? It was all water. So the pre-creation description of the world is that there are no boundaries. There are no distinctions. 
so that Noah, in the time of Noah, God destroyed the world that he had created and then started over again. And that's why Noah receives the same mitzvah that Adam Arishol received, right? The mitzvah that Adam Arishol received was Pruervu, right? That you should multiply, that you should populate this land. And Noah was given the same mitzvah, exactly the same, because Noah was like Adam Arishol. Noah was like Adam Arishol. So that's a promise that 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 this creation, the creation took place after the flood, will never be denied by God. Doesn't mean that the people in the world won't be punished. They'll be punished if they do the wrong thing. But the creation itself will not be denied or abrogated. That's what that's what God promised. That's what God promised. At the end of the Torah, God promises that the Brit, the covenant which was first at Har Sinai, and then at the end of the book of Ayikra, then again at the end of the book of Dvarim, that that covenant will never be abrogated. But that B'nai Yisrael will always be within that covenant. They may sin, and they may deserve the worst of punishments, but the covenant will continue to exist. That's what God promised. So what is a Brit? A Brit is something that is forever. So that if Pinchas was the subject of a Brit, that means his children, his grandchildren, and all the generations forever were also beneficiaries of that Brit. I hope that that is, that is clear. Yeah. Why well, was it necessary to make the same covenant three times if it's forever? I guess it wasn't. In, in other words, the covenant, I'm sorry, that the covenant that was forever was the, well, it's hard to say, but the covenant that was forever definitely was the last one. Because that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said, Atem nitzavim ayom kulchem, b'fnei Hashem elokechem. The first one and the second one, we call them a Brit, but the Torah may not call them a Brit. Uh, that's a personal covenant. Uh, what was the covenant at R.C. Sinai? <coughs> well, the covenant of the R.C. Sinai was just giving the Torah. It's hard to imagine that God gave the Torah in order to bring an end to things. It was to keep everything going. But, but I mean, it's a good question, but it takes me away, it would take me very far away from what we're talking about. And so let's concentrate on the last covenant, the covenant that Moshe Rabbeinu made with B'nai Yisrael at the end of the Torah before they went into Eretz Yisrael. What I mean to say, what I, all I meant to say was that a Brit has a permanent aspect to it. Unlike a regular contract that could be brought to an end. Right? So that the contract with Adam showed that the world existed, that contract came to an end. There was a Mabul. But the contract with B'nai Yisrael has never come to an end. Okay? So that's, called, that's the word Brit, and then there's the word Shalom. The word Shalom is a hard word, and so we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to get help to try to figure out what the word Shalom means. Now if you look at the second uh, source on the page, it's, 
it's that that part of the pasuk, that part of the pasuk, the way it looks in a Sefer Torah. You know, Sefer Torah, when you take it out of the ark to read, this is, these are the words, Now, there is something funny about that, but it's hard to notice. Something funny about these words, the way they are written. And that is, if you look at the word Shalom, you see Shin Lamed and then Vav. Shin Lamed Vav. You see the Vav? You see it's funny? It looks like a kind of printing error. Like maybe your printer did it. You wouldn't even notice if you didn't know that it was done on purpose. Right? That it was done on purpose. And that, what it is, uh, and, and believe me, there are different traditions about how to do this, but that, that, that vav is cut in half. So there's a top part of it and a bottom part of it, and then there's a space in between. That's the way it is here. The way it is here in this, in this photograph. That's the way it is in the Korean Tanakh, in the new Korean Tanakh, and that's the way it is in most Ashkenazic Sifrei Torah. In Temani Sifrei Torah, for example, they only have a half of a vav going down. It looks like actually like a yud. Looks like a yud, but uh, but everybody, but the Baal Tori knows that it's a half of a vav. It's not a it's not a yud. So we read it when we read the Torah. If you if you have the opportunity, you should listen. You read the Torah. We say the word shalom as though it was regular. But when you look at it. You see that there's something odd, and there's an odd message. There's a message that is being uh, that is being sent to us. Now, what is the message? So, the message is clearly stated in the Gemara in uh, in Kedushin. For some reason, Rashi doesn't quote this Gemara, even though he he usually does quote such things, but here he doesn't. So he says, Baalmum davadetahu. How do we know that a Kohen who is a Baal Mum a Baal Mum is a person who has a permanent blemish now what is a permanent blemish it could be the smallest thing imaginable like a scar in the lower eyelid right, like if you took a knife accidentally and cut yourself and, uh, and then as a result that scar would remain so if you were a Kohen, you wouldn't be allowed to serve in the Beit HaMikdash because you are called a Baal Mum. You have a blemish, a physical, a physical blemish. That's a, that's a, 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 a Baal Mum. So the Gemara asks, Baal Mum, minala. How do you know, how do we know that a Baal Mum is not allowed to serve in the Beit HaMikdash? Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Amar Kra. It says in our pasuk, That's how we know. We know it from that pasuk. Kishuhu shalem, v'lo kishuhu chaser. Right, the Hebrew word shalem means whole. Now, where is that Hebrew word shalem in this pasuk? Right, it's not there because the pasuk, the word of the pasuk is shalom, peace. But the Gemara says, well, we learn it from the word shalom. 
for the word shaled that the Kohen has to be unblemished whole it has to be whole Bahash, so the Gemara itself asks the question Bahash, Shalom Ketiv so how can you say that? how can you say it comes from the word Shalom? there is no word Shalom the word is Shalom so there is no word Shalom I'm sorry, Shalom means whole that word doesn't exist in the Pasuk what word exists in the Pasuk? Shalom HaShalom Ketiv Omar Av Nachman Vav de Shalom Ketiyahi Vav de Shalom Ketiyahi What does that mean? That uh, the fact that the Vav of Shalom Ketiyahi means it's cut off it's cut off in the middle Ketiyahi is to hint to us the idea that that word has two meanings in that Pasuk two meanings one meaning is shalom peace but there's another hidden meaning briti shalem which means that only a Kohen who has no uh, who has no blemish can serve in the Beit HaMikdash okay that's what the Gemara says so that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu you know you know Pinchas I want to give him something. I want to give him briti, briti, shalom. No, no. I also want to give him briti, shalom. I want to give him something. What do we give him? Give him this halacha that a kohen who has a blemish cannot serve at the Beit Hamikdash. So that the present, that the first present, the present that that uh, Pinchas got according to the Gemara, was a halacha that nobody knew before. Nobody knew that the only thing, the only kind of person, the only kind of kohen that can work in the Beit Hamikdash is one who's not wounded or blemished or has some kind of permanent uh, uh, limit, physical limit, cannot work. Who said that? Who said that? God said it in honor of. In other words, the laws of the Kohanim and the Beit HaBikdash are stated elsewhere in the Torah. But because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to honor, give honor to Pidchas, and what sort of honor could beat this, that not only Moshe Rabbeinu gave B'nai Yisrael 99.9% of the Torah, Allah comes, so comes Pidchas and he's responsible for this little bit, which is also Torah, which they would not have known if God had, well, they did not know till that point, until that time, they didn't know that that, that this halacha existed. So the Gemara says, and Rashi quotes, that Pinchas himself was vilified for taking the law into his own hands, as though they said, "Who are you, Pinchas?" Here's Moshe Rabbeinu standing here, and he didn't do that. He didn't go to kill Zimri and Cosby. He says, who gave you the right to do that? That's what Chazal say. That's what Chazal say about this event. So what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do in order to, uh, to close the case against Pinchas? He allows Torah to be his responsibility. That he brought Torah into the world. The Torah that he brings into the world is that about Moon cannot serve in the in the Beit Habitash.
Now there's one other source on the page which I just want to remind you of. I'm sure that you all remember it somehow. Hillel Bishamai Kiblu Mehem. Remember in Perkei Avot, at the beginning in the first chapter, they list all of the, uh, like, like a list of, of important statements that are not necessarily halachic, but more <coughs> Musa, like, like how you should be and how you should act and what you should be worried about. But uh, it is it is in English they call it the wisdom of the fathers, right? Did you ever hear that? The fathers had wisdom. It's the last time that the fathers <laughs> had wisdom. I know I know that for my children. But but uh, it's not the wisdom of the fathers. The wisdom of the fathers certainly included the entire Torah. I mean, it didn't include just Pirkei Avot. So. It means that these are things that they thought about. These are things they thought about outside of the halachic parameters, even though some of them are very halachic. But they were thinking about these things. After all, these Tanaim, the Zugot and the Tanaim, were responsible for forging the nation of Israel, where they made us into who we are. They told us what to think about. So it's not just wisdom. It's it's everything. It's uh, anyway. So Hillel the Shammai keep moving. And remember Hillel and Shammai. Hillel and Shammai were actually good friends, even though most of the time most arguments were uh, uh, in favor of in favor of Hillel over Shammai. <coughs> even though not all. Sometimes we pass like Shammai against Hillel. So Hillel the Shammai keep moving. Hillel Omer. So what did Hillel say? What did Hillel leave us and say, this, I want you to remember this. I want you to do this. I put me, tell me, Dad, shall Aaron, ohev shalom, rodev shalom. Ohev shalom, rodev shalom. I guess ohev, um, I mean, there are a few things that are rodev. <coughs> You know, most mitzvot, most mitzvot, when they come up, you do them. You don't rotate them. They have a time frame and a place frame. And when the time is right, the place is right. I mean, you, like, you have to eat a piece of matzah on Pesach. You can't be neurotic and start eating matzah on Hanukkah. It wouldn't do anything. Rotate means... I want to do the Messiah. I don't see that at all inside, but I'm going to run until I find it. Ohev Shalom, Rodev Shalom. Ohev Shalom means when a situation arises and I can employ the weapon called Shalom, so I do. I'm like a, uh, what do they call those today? It's very popular uh, mediators. Very popular to be a mediator because. I guess because it's cheaper than any other system. That's what Pinchas was. He was a mediator with a sword. Well, he got happy Yeah, but he also killed a few people. So, but God's Mediators don't do that. God said. Seeks to be pleased. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. But I wouldn't call that mediation. Mediation is. You give in a little. Everybody gives in a little, and then you, the trick is that after you give in a little, everybody's supposed to be happy. That's not always the way it works. But by that time, the mediator escapes. 
and there's nothing you can uh, nothing you can do. Look, oh shalom means when there is an issue, he enters into the fray. That's called Ohev Shalom. Rodev Shalom means I know that there are problems in the world that I haven't confronted. I want to find them. I want to confront them. That's Rodev. Rodev means you're active in your attempt to, uh, to find a situation that has to be dealt with. That's what Rodev Shalom, what Rodev Shalom means. The question, of course, on the Mishnah, the question on the Mishnah is how how did they all know this? How do you all know that, that Aaron Cohen was Ohev Shalom and Rodev Shalom? Where are those extra, extra sheets? Anyway, the, this. Oh yeah, thank you very much. In the Avot to there's a there's a, a book called Avot to Rabinatan, which is the Tosefta of Pirkei Avot. You know that the Mishnah, the Mishnah was collected by Rabbi Huda Nasi, and of course when he collected it, he left out a lot of existing material. I mean, that was the whole point. The whole point was to make an effective and efficient collection that people could use universally to learn with. However, he left out a lot of material and then his students, Rav Chi and Rav Oshia, made another collection of material very similar to, the, to what's called the Mishnah. And, the, and that, that collection is called Tosefta. So the Tosefta and the Mishnah are often very parallel. If you could put them in two columns next to each other, they wouldn't be the same, but they would be very similar, and they would go in a similar way and discuss similar things, but they have used different language. However, so there's a collection of statements of Tanaim called Avot de Rabinata, which is parallel to Pirkei Avot. So if you look at Pirkei Avot, you look at Avot de Rabinatan, you'll find uh, a lot of material which is similar. And then in Avot de Rabinatan, which is a much bigger book, you'll find a lot of extra material. Now in Avot de Rabinatan, I didn't put this on the sheet, but I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. Avot de Rabinatan, it says, Okay? That's that's Pirkei Avot. That's Pirkei Avot. So in Avot Rabbanatan, Meto Eretshitatoshel Aharon. There, there is a description of how Aaron operated in the field. Like, what did he do? Ohev Shalom, Keitsa. Like, 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 what do you mean he loved peace? How did he love peace? Melamechi Yadam Ohev Shalom BiYisrael. Right? 
this is it. Aaron's walking along. This is the story in, in uh, about the Rabbi Natan. Here's, here's Aaron, he's walking along. Adam Ra. He meets up a bad guy. Oh, or else he meets up, he meets up with a, with, with a wicked person. Notangle Shalom. He says, but that's a greeting, right? That's our greeting. Shalom. Shalom Cha. Even though today, today in Israel, uh, uh, you start to use an American greeting to prove that you're a Hebrew speaker. So you say, hi, or okay, or, uh, you know, words like that. What? Alan. Alan. It's not American. So it doesn't go to America. Maybe today it does go to America. I don't know. <laughs> It says, And the next day, that wicked guy, who who got this happy shalom from Aaron, wants to go and, and rob the bank. He, well, that's what he does, he robs banks. So it says, Amar oili Aaron he says, he says, if I rob the bank and then I meet Aaron in the street, I mean, how will I be able to look him in the face? If they gave me such a nice shalom, if they gave me such a nice shalom, Shalatani shalom, and that person, that person, uh, uh, he's just unable to do the Avera because he's got this memory of Aaron Akoin speaking to him. Okay, so this sounds a little, uh, I'd say it sounds a little naive, but n- maybe not. So maybe not, you know, I mean, if, uh, what do say? Like, if you went to meet, if you went to meet the Chavetz Chaim, and the Chavetz Chaim said to you, you know, you should just be careful with what you do, nothing in particular. So I think it would have an effect on a lot of people, they would say, the Chavetz Chaim approved of this? We've approved of that. But there are people like that. No, not, no, not many. But there are people who affect you by their their goodness. So what the story of Avotir Rabbi Natan says is that when Aaron Akkad, it couldn't be that he was the only person in the world who said Shalom. But somehow he really meant it. Oh, hey, Shalom. That was Aaron Akkad. And so if Aaron Cohen was the Oheb Shalom, what is the Brit Shalom that, uh, that HaKadosh Baruch was sharing with Pinchas? Because the Oheb Shalom already belongs to, already belongs to Aaron Cohen. So the answer, the answer is that there, there, there are two kinds of people. There are two kinds of people, there are more than two kinds of people, but I'm just saying there are two kinds of people for the point of this discussion. There are two kinds of people. There are people who seem to have very special human qualities. They're special people. They have concern. They have special concern for, for others. Uh, they have special concern for goodness, for the proper way of, proper mode of, beha- of behavior. There are people like that. But they don't have the wherewithal to pass it down to their children. It's not. Nobody's the same. 
you know, you talk about the great people, whoever the great people in your uh, pantheon, your personal pantheon is, and think about their children. They're not always like that. They're not always of that kind of ilk. So that was Aaron Cohen. Aaron Cohen was special. Aaron Cohen was, was special because he, he managed to infect others with the idea that he really wanted their good. He wanted them to be happy. He wanted them to have peace, shalom, ohev shalom. And not only was he ohev shalom, but he was rodev shalom. He, he, he wasn't waiting for these cases to come by him by mistake. He wasn't a court of law as Moshe Rabbeinu was. Moshe Rabbeinu sat in the court and waited for people to come and ask him shilish. Aaron Akoin didn't wait for people to ask him a shilish. He went to spread good cheer somehow. He had this ability, had this ability to make people reflect upon themselves who they are and what they are and what they should be doing and where they should be doing. That was his special ability. And with that ability, with that ability, he was Rodef Shalom. He knew that the more people he could meet and the more times he would say Shalom to these people, the more goodness there would be in the world. But we know that Aaron Akolin was not able to pass this down to his children. That Nadav and Aviyu, they had a different interest in life. They had a different interest in life. And their interest in life was going into the Beit HaMikdash, even when it was forbidden. You know, there are people like that. They say, you know why it's forbidden? Like teenagers. You know why it's forbidden? Because it's the best. Right, you know, well, you know why they tell me I can't drive in the middle of the night? Because it's nothing like it. Well, you know, I tell I can't drink or I can't, uh, I can't do drugs at night? Because that's what it's really, it's really happening. Right, so Nadav Avihu, Nadav Avihu wanted to go into the Beit HaMikdash when it was prohibited. They wanted to bring an Eshzara. Why did they want to bring an Eshzara? Were they crazy? No. Because they, they, the way they understood it was that if you're not allowed to go in there, it must really be tremendous. It must really be very hot in the Beit HaMikdash. So that Aaron's children, the ones we know about, the Dabavi who were killed bringing the Esara, they didn't have the concern of their father. They weren't interested in Ohev Shalom or Ohev Shalom because they had another interest, a different interest. They must have sat around and talked about it and planned it and finally gone to the place where they were not allowed to go to. So that what God says to, to Pinchas is firstly, Brit Shalom. Brit Shalom. Which means that this quality of Aaron Cohen will become part of your genetic makeup. It's a Brit and it's Shalom. What Aaron Cohen was unable to do, pass this down to his children, you will be able to do. 
you'll be able to pass it down to your children. And since, uh, and, and the representative, of course, was, was Hillel. Hillel said to all of the children, of all of the Jews, not only to the children of Finfas, remember Aaron Atoni, who was Oev Shalom and Rodev Shalom. Try to be like that. Try to be like Aaron Cohen. Don't limit it only to the Kohanim. Even though Pinchas had a promise, his promise was that that Brit, there'll be a Brit Shalom. But one other thing, one other thing that God said to Pinchas was Shalom is also Shalem. Remember the children of Aaron? What was their problem? They brought an Esh Zara, a foreign fire. That word Zar, you know what the word Zar appears in the Torah several times? Zar Hakarev Yumat. What does that mean? That there are limits. There are places you can't go. And there are things that you can't do. And part of the agreement that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made with Pinchas was that Pinchas would not fall into that trap. So the Pinchas learned the halacha of the Balmum. The Balmum, a person who has a physical deficiency, a defect, cannot serve in the Beit HaMikdash. And that Pinchas received that as part of his uh, uh, gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that the problem that Nadav Aviyu had, the sons of Aaron, in their inability to accept limits and, and, and uh, to be able to say this I'm not going to do I'm not going to eat that food that I shouldn't eat because I think that's the right way to live that became a gift that a Kaddish Bochel gave to, to Pinchas so Pinchas learned the halacha that no one else knew before and therefore the opposition to Pinchas subsided and went away and secondly Pinchas was given the gift or the understanding or the knowledge that he was not going to be fall into the trap of Nadav of Nadav Avihu that, uh, that brought an Esara into the Beit Hamidash and that he would be able to inherit the genetic makeup which would make him an Ishalom as Aaron HaKohen before him was an Ishalom. Have a good shot.